This is the last of the three podcasts of this week's edition of Nasholas Ukrainian Roots Radio. Sich buvaya pounitas, it's yachvelena klejenas, na pešutzi historike, shome evropu vebrale, vilne me
And that was uh, England's Stepan Pasichnik, also known as Ludwig, and that is a song called Euromaidan Nostala Evolutia, which means a revolution on the Euromaidan. And uh, he composed that, of course, obviously, specifically for the situation in Ukraine. And on the line with us now, uh, we have Lydia Wolanski. And Lydia is a freelance journalist and writer, blogger, who is uh, in Kiev. She's in Ukraine right now. She's been on the Maidan. We had her on our Vancouver program uh, to tell us about the situation there. And uh, things, of course, uh, develop quite rapidly. And so she joins us now to tell us what exactly is going on right now on the ground. Lydia, can you hear us? I can hear you, but it is fairly noisy. Is it okay? <laughs> All right. Well, we'll have to struggle. We actually had this problem with our last guest. So um, hopefully we'll uh, be able to communicate. There's always Facebook for <laughs> for a quick uh, question, if not. But thank you so much for joining us. Are you in Kiev now? Yes, I am. Okay. What is going on? What's happening now? Well, this evening there's been a lot of backroom uh, stuff going on in the Verkhonorada, the legislature. Um, it looks like Yanukovych is trying to bang heads together in his party and not not doing too well. Uh, the last word was that they, uh, the party of the regions accepted the version of the amnesty law from the party of the regions, which the opposition is very much against because it places a lot of conditions before the before people are actually released and before the amnesty kicks in. Basically, the entire process has been very, very, very difficult and, uh, to a large extent, uh, very much just window dressing on the part of the Yanukovych regime. Well, it seems like he's um, running scared. He doesn't, I, he doesn't strike me as a deep thinker or certainly a strategic thinker. I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. Oh, sorry. He doesn't strike me as a deep thinker or a strategic thinker because he seems to be doing things that only are escalating the process, the, the protests and harming himself in the long run. Well, I think the problem, the, the thing that Westerners need to understand is that you are not dealing with a normal democratic leader. Uh, the first thing that he did when he came to power was to co-opt the constitutional court and get them to, to pass a ruling that basically gave him unlimited powers. So he completely violated the Constitution because the Constitutional Court is not the body that is allowed to do that in Ukraine. So he has illegally usurped power pretty much since he came to office, and this is just a continuation of it. And he is like a lot of people with a dictatorial bent. He figures he's just going to haul out the, the bad guys and get them to beat everybody until there's a lot of blood in the street. I just think that that's something that is a very real possibility still. Well, there are the Sochi Olympics coming up, which um, everyone uh, it, it seems to be talking now about a possibility of, of troops, Russian troops moving in, because there has been talk that many of the, um, the, the riot police that are particularly brutal and violent are actually not Ukrainian, but they're imports from Russia. Well, it's hard to know. Uh, there's no real hard evidence that they're not people from Ukraine. The thing is, the real problem with the Berkut is, and you can see that even if you go on their Facebook page, is that they're basically operating like a private army whose entire uh, remit is simply to protect the president and his family, family being used in a looser sense than just immediate family. In other words, they do not feel loyalty to Ukraine as a country, and they don't see 
their oath of service as being involved in protecting the, po- the opposition and the people in power. Their attitude is, if you're not in power, then too bad. You know, anything can happen to you. We're not going to be protecting you. So you have a real problem of an incredible clash of civilizations going on, and Ukrainians are actually being caught in the middle. The West doesn't understand the Eastern mentality, and Putin doesn't understand the Western mentality. And Ukrainians understand, a lot of Ukrainians understand both sides, and they're trying to find a way to join to the side that they feel better about, which is the Western side. They don't want to be involved anymore in that kind of uh, dictatorial, tyrannical, evil, if you want to call it, Eastern kind of approach. They really don't want that. That's why they've been standing out there for over two months at this point. Now, Lydia, your but your accent gives you away as Canadian, although you're not Canadian-born, but you spent most of your life growing up here, and you were trained here. You studied at McGill. You got a university degree at uh, UBC, your master's, I think, in, in fine arts, which is uh, serving you very well in your writing career. What? How do you, how do you feel, like, personally, you're... you're uh, you're reporting on, on Kiev. You don't live there. You live in Yeremcha, which is in western Ukraine. But you're up all hours of the night, and, and your your system is all topsy-turvy. When you get a chance to think, what goes through your mind as to the the future laying out before you? Oh, I'm not too terribly worried about my future because I'm, a, I'm somebody who has options. I can walk out of here if necessary. I mean, that's, that's, there's a lot of people like that who are here who are very much supportive of what's going on here, but they're not, they're not actually Ukrainian citizens. They can leave any time they want. So we're, we are not in a bad situation. The bad situation is for Ukrainians. But the point for me is more that it, it doesn't seem to be sinking in with Westerners, whether it's the press or, the, uh, or officials, enough that they are dealing with a completely usurped power. They're dealing with a country where those who were not supposedly democratically elected immediately turned around and usurped power that they had no right to according to the constitution of the country. And it's just gotten worse and worse over the four years almost that Yanukovych has been in power. And he's used that to amass an amazing fortune. His kids have an amazing fortune, his friends have amazing fortunes, and basically the country is on the verge of bankruptcy because of that, because a lot of that fortune has been based on stealing money from the government, uh, state procurement contracts at exorbitant prices, buying out, uh, bankrupting companies and buying them for peanuts and then having them as a nice business of your own, like state-owned companies. So a lot of this is starting to finally come out in the press. There have been some very powerful articles with a lot of good detail about it, and one of one of it is thanks to Serhii Lashchenko, who works for Kinska Pravda, because he's been doing a lot of investigative journalism precisely into financial stuff. And so the Western press has started to pick up on that, and, you know, there was hope that this would start moving a little bit sooner than now, because we're getting very close to, you know, the, the I don't know, what you would say, the last part of this whole this whole situation. Canada, I think Canada says that it has put on sanctions and uh, entry bans on a couple of people, but it hasn't specified who. And I'm pretty certain that they're likely to be the same people that the U.S. has put visa bans on, which is Akhmatov, who has been under a ban for some time, and Firtash. 
and they're both men who are involved in the energy and commodities industries. So they have, they're very wealthy. Akhmatov is the wealthiest man in Ukraine. He just bought the most expensive property in London this past year. And people have been boycotting him in London to get him to respond more. But uh, they have not put any visa bans on Yanukovych himself. So the message is kind of weird because the bans are going against people who are officially actually not running the country, and they're not going against the people who are actually responsible for what's going on in the country right now. Well, there are questions, Lydia, about that. People are saying, on the one hand, you know, Canada should do more, freeze their assets and, and all this. On the other hand, people are saying, well, they don't have any assets in Canada, so we you know, wouldn't do anything if we froze them. Some people are being banned, um, and uh, I don't know if you were aware that our um, the, the we spoke with a, uh, we, we were part of a teleconference with uh, the government ministers, the uh, foreign minister and the um, multicultural minister, minister uh, who specifically mm-hmm. were, were speaking with the Ukrainian Canadian press and uh, they said they've got measured responses I guess they don't want to you know shoot their wad now <laughs> and um, but they're they're responding I guess as the situation escalates and responding accordingly that's what they told us uh, how much they can do is is hard to know Lydia because there is no like what have they topple Yanukovych what then who who rushes in to fill the void well, I'll tell you, the thing is that sanctions against Canada, uh, against Ukraine as a whole, are, are make no sense at all because they will right. simply hurt the average person. They're not going to hurt the millionaires in any way, shape, or form. But the thing is, even if Canada itself can't do much directly because these people are not keeping money in Canada or keeping uh, any assets there, they, we know the countries where they are keeping their assets. That's Switzerland, that's Austria, that's Liechtenstein, that's the U.S., that's London, and Canada can put pressure to bear on these countries, not even to have sanctions, uh, Paulette, because the point is that all these countries have money laundering laws that require them to look into the provenance of income and assets that people from abroad bring in. And these people are all pets, they're all politically exposed persons in a big way, and yet they have been able to machinate their way into buying properties and having businesses and having bank accounts and stuff, and people have not taken the trouble to investigate it, maybe because they don't want to lose a billion-dollar account. I mean, you know, nobody as pure as the driven snow, but Canada can put pressure on these other countries to force their banks to do their homework. And you would like to see Canadians write to their MPs and say just that? Well, I think that would be very helpful if Canadians ask their MPs to do that kind of pressure because that's, that is simply upholding laws that are already in place. It doesn't require parliaments to meet and to unveil sanctions. It involves putting pressure on other countries to make sure that their banks and their financial institutions are actually following their country's regulations. Now, some, some places, Switzerland has already started looking into it. There was some talk about Deutsche Bank. But basically, right now, everybody's kind of still playing the know-who-me-I'm-very-innocent kind of thing, even though the middleman for a lot of the stuff in Austria has been uncovered, and there's been stories about him in several papers at this point. I, I saw something on, on Facebook this morning about that. So, um, yeah. Yes, this, is, this guy called Reinhard Prox, who actually has law firms in, in the States and is working in New York and Miami, but he's actually an Austrian citizen. So he's been backpedaling really quickly and, and presenting himself as some kind of an amazing guy, and it sounds like he's really created quite a fantasy around himself, to be hmm. frank.
everything from a journalist to a lawyer to a member of some U.S. Uh, Homeland Security Commission. But anyway, the real point is that, that uh, the banks need to be pressured to do their homework and to uphold those laws, even if it means that they're going to lose some you know, million-dollar accounts. There's a reason why money laundering laws are in place. I mean, in the case of Ukraine, it's made a situation where the country's on the verge of bankruptcy because of that. Putin's loans, the money that Putin has sent to Ukraine, it's almost guaranteed that most of that money will be stolen by these people, and then the Ukrainian taxpayer is going to be required to pay it back. And that's probably what Putin is counting on, and the way he's going to take that money back is he's going to take the Ukraine's gas transport system if he hasn't already made a deal on it. Oh, that is beyond disgusting. It really is. It really is. Lydia, the you... trouble is a lot of people aren't aware of that. I mean, as I said again, you're, you're, what you're seeing in Ukraine is that clash of civilizations between West and East. It's very much so. Easterners can't understand that anybody would go on the Maidan without being paid a lot of money for it. And the people from the West who come to the Maidan or from Central Ukraine can't imagine doing it for money. They're doing it because they genuinely believe in it. Hmm. So there's like a complete disconnect in the way people perceive things. And so that's why party of the regions have to pay people to come here, because none of their supporters would come of their own accord to Kiev to support them. Right, right, of course. Wow. It's not because they don't believe in the party, but they don't, the party is not, the party doesn't represent anything to them except the guy that's in power right now. It doesn't have any deeper meaning for them, which is why they, it wouldn't even occur to them to come to Kiev to support it. Wow. Wow. Lydia, um, we're going to run out of time, and um, I'd like to thank you so much for coming on Nash Holis and talking to us, giving us a report from the ground. I hope that uh, you wouldn't mind coming on again um, and uh, sharing your insights. I'm more than happy if I can be of help. Okay, thank you. In the meantime, until we bring you back on the air, where can people find you online? Um, just on Facebook as Rascal and Beer. Okay, and you're posting like you're posting up a storm. I see it's sometimes hard to keep up with everything. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm sort of I'm sort of letting some of my commercial clients down right now, not doing my regular assignments because of all this. But you know, I think they understand. And uh, you are sharing a lot of great information. So thank you so much for doing that. Thank you for coming on. Uh, stay safe. Shterodiakuyu, uh, and uh, all the best. Thank you very much, Paulette. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. And that was Lydia Wolanski, a freelance writer, journalist, blogger in Ukraine. And uh, you can find her on Facebook at Rascal N, like November, Deer. And you can also f- find a link to her through the Nash Holis Facebook page. Just uh, search for Nash Holis on Facebook. And you're listening to Nash Holis, Ukrainian Roots Radio on CHLY 101.7 FM Radio Malaspina in beautiful downtown Nanaimo. Up next is uh, some local talent for you, West Coast. Anyways, uh, this is Helena Stolyarchuk from Lillooet. And here she is with an original composition called Vilni Polit Free Flight. Zodnia zachopliuć wzir 
Вільний повір, вітру трави похиляє. Вільний політ, птахи заворожи. Океану без одня, неба височінь. Гента моврі без краю далечінь. Знайти, що зникає, не лишає слід, як зрозуміти світ. Вільний політ, зірок, що падають у ніч, не поспішиш, час бажання злетить. Вільний політ. Виріям почуттів із серця, віднесе там, де бажання здійснить. Океану без одня, неба височінь, гента моврі без краю далечінь. Як знайти, що зникає? Не лишає слід, як зрозуміти світ, як зрозуміти світ. Ми 
прийде пора і година розклати для ворога на глупане. Стане під Київ каради, тюрю в них Сибіру прийде. And from Montreal and the 1970s, that was Rushnichok with the ballad of Yuri Tutunik. And Yuri Tutunik was a hero from back in the days of the first, um, Nashho- or first Ukrainian um, revolutionary era of the 20th century, that being uh, the Siege Rifleman um, era. And again, that was Rushnichok and Yuri Tutunik. Ну, ми вже скінчили нашу програму і вже часто дому ви сказати до побачення, але перед тим я хочу залишити вас такими словами мудрості. Де сонечко не досягає, там і плоду немає. And our proverb of the week translates as, there is no fruitfulness where the sun cannot reach. Well, that just about wraps up another edition of Nash Holos, Ukrainian Roots Radio. Thank you so much for joining me. Just a reminder that you can find the podcast at the CHLY website, which is chly.ca as well. The Vancouver podcast can be found at the Nash Holos website, which is nashholos.com. And to keep up with the um, events in Ukraine, um, you can follow the Nash Holos page on Facebook. So with that, I will bid you adieu with a quick polka by the international or the Interlake Polka Kings, the Homemakers Polka, to take us to the end of our show. I'm Pavlina Demchuk-McQuarrie on behalf of all of us here at Nash Holos and CHLY 101.7 FM. Thanks so much for joining us. Until next time, do pobaczenia.
This is the last of the three podcasts of this week's edition of Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. Tune in to the on-air broadcast in Vancouver Sundays at 5 p.m. Pacific Time on AM 1320 CHMB Vancouver, streaming online at am1320.com. And tune in to the live broadcast Wednesdays at 11.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. Pacific Time on CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo, online at chly.ca. Feeds to both podcasts and show info at www.nasholus.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. 